Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. Go ahead and grab them. Turn to Luke chapter one. We'll be in Luke chapter one. If you're on a device, you can do that as well. Luke chapter one. It'll be up on the screen, but I strongly recommend having it in front of you just so you can tell that we haven't manipulated anything on the screen to make it fit what I wanna say, but it's really the written word of God. And so do that if you would. Luke chapter one. We are continuing our Advent series today. And today the, the topic of Advent, which it has been for hundreds of years, is love. We're gonna study it through this interaction um, that Mary has with an angel. So we've titled this series, Fear Not. There are four particular interactions uh, that people have in what we call the Christmas story, the Christmas account, the account of the birth of Christ, where angels appear, and rightfully so, they begin with, do not be afraid, or some would say, fear not. But what gets neglected is what happens after the fear not. How, how do the angels, when they speak, how does Gabriel in this instance, how does, he, how does he dissolve the fear of Mary? Well, he makes a statement after that to dissolve her fear. It's not just simply, don't be afraid, baby. It's do not fear, there's something. Do not fear, here's the antidote to our fear. So we're gonna study that uh, this morning. We'll be in Luke chapter one. We're gonna start in verse 26 here um, in just a second. So last night uh, and the night before for the drive through Christmas, I got to stand at the top of the hill and I got to talk to every car that came through which was awesome for the most part, to have conversations with them, um, thank them for waiting. Our parking lot people were amazing and telling them how long they had to wait. And uh, over and over again, I got people saying, the people here are so kind. And I was like, oh yeah, we pay these people. These aren't our people. These are all, no, I'm kidding. Um, just a testament to you. I, I, you are the kindest people I've met. I mean that wholeheartedly. It's a joy uh, to be able to teach and be a pastor here. I love it. But every once in a while, there'd be a car that came through with a child, and a child who maybe, maybe less than the age of four or so, and I don't know if you've had kids like this, but um, they speak, and then the parent has to interpret for the child. Have you ever experienced that? Where the child says something, and it's like the mom is the only person on the face of the planet who knows what he just said. And so I'd say, hey, how are you? And they'd mumble something, and mom would say, oh, he says he's great. And I would say, what, do you, what is it you want for Christmas? And he would say something, and the mom would say, oh, he said... He doesn't want anything. He just wants to give presents. I'm like, that's a lie, because that's not what he just said. <laughs> I think he said he wants a PS5. I think that's what he just said. But there were those moments, and so kids develop their own language, and then it creates a thing inside of your family where you have your own language. This, have you had this in your family? Your, your son is 40 years old, and you still call something the way he called it when he was four. Like, that's probably what happened. So we have a couple of those in, in our family. Um, Landry, our youngest, um, has learned to sing the national anthem at school. Which is, which is great, um, so she'll be singing for the Braves soon. But she, instead of calling it the national anthem, she calls it the magical anthem, which I think is amazing. I think it involves glitter and unicorns, but it sounds great. Um, she calls it the magical anthem. And then one of our sons, um, growing up, or when he was really young, he couldn't say his Fs, and so they always came out as Ss. And so he went through this phase, I don't know if your kids are like this, they go through phases of what they eat, and they eat all of them all the time, and then at one point, they just stop wanting that. Has that happened for you? It's like, all they eat is macaroni, and then it's a Saturday, it's like, I hate macaroni, I don't want it ever again in my life. Like, you loved this six hours ago, you loved it. 
So he went through this phase where um, he wanted spot or Mickey Mouse waffles all the time, little ego waffles. And Ashley was babysitting for us at the time. And, um, but he couldn't say waffles. He called them wassels. So he always wanted wassels. And so he, we knew, like Meredith and I, we know what, what he wants when he says, I want a wassel. We'll go to the freezer and get a wassel. And so Ashley, who was Ashley Grogan, uh, Ashley McGay, he was babysitting for us. And Kaysen, um, it's in the morning and Kaysen, Kaysen wants a wassel, darn it. And he's gonna get his wassel. And so he wants a wassel and he, he tells Miss Ashley, I want a wassel. And Ashley looks at him like, I, I have no idea what you're saying. You wanna go a wasseling? Okay, I mean, it's, it's about the time. So, no, 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 wassel. And he gets more frustrated. And so little Kaysen, probably t- three years old or so, grabs a chair drags it over to the fridge, stands on it, opens the freezer, and looks Ashley dead in the eyes and goes, wassels. <laughs> All right, yes, sir. You may have your wassels. Uh, he's eight now, and he, every once in a while, wants a wassel still for breakfast. And so that, does that happen for you? You have language in your home that as, even as your kids get older, continues to be the language for you. It's no longer waffles. It will forever be wassels in our home. And maybe it will no longer be the national anthem. We will always sing the magical anthem before any sporting event. That's, that happens for us. You, you have words that are intended to mean something, but over time, because of your experience or how someone says it, that word takes on a completely brand new meaning to you. The word love is just like that. Love has a definition. But as the world has moved forward and culture has gotten involved and we've had experiences and circumstances, love has taken on all sorts of different things for us. Love has become defined more by our experiences than it is defined by truth. It's defined by movies and books and TV shows. It's defined by relationships that we've had. It's defined by what you saw with your parents or didn't see with your parents. When someone says, I love you, you know not to just take that at face value. You look to see, well, what does love mean for you? What many of you have learned is that love means they'll give you an undefeated season until the SEC championship. (laughs) And then they'll let you down. (laughs) But what you've realized is that's always how it's been, isn't it? They say they love you, but they really don't. So this is, what, this is what happens for us when it comes to love. And so then we read the Bible and we hear things about how God so loved the world and we're no longer using the actual definition of love. Now we're using the wassail definition of love. Does that make sense? We're no longer using what the word actually means. Now we've got some weird distorted understanding about what love means. And it's why in this same conversation, I can tell you how much I love my wife and how much I love fajitas. I obviously don't love them the same but it's taken on a life of its own, and so we've lost it. So let me give us a definition of what love is before we can begin into this. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. What is love? God. God is love. Every act of God, then, is an act of love. Now, we read the Bible, and we're like, well, he did this. That's certainly not an act of love. Did God do it? Yes, then it's love. He is, the essence of the Trinity is love. It's how God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all interact. C.S. Lewis calls it a divine dance. It's how that happens, it's through love. Everything that comes from God is love. The Bible doesn't say that he is loving, it says he is love. 
He is summed up in love, and love, therefore, is summed up in God. Whatever God does is love, and however God does it is love. Not just the what, but the how. A couple decades ago, a Canadian um, sociologist named Marshall McLuhan coined this phrase, the medium is the message. So at this point, he was railing against television, and that went well. And so he, he did that and tried to um, perpetuate the dangers of watching something on a screen. Now, I know we've, all, we've dispelled all of that. It's totally fine. It's totally fine. Or it's not. But he makes the statement here that how something is communicated is the message. The medium, the how, is the what. The problem for us is when the how doesn't align with the what. But what I wanna show you through scripture this morning is that the love of God, what it is, is demonstrated by how it is. And God is unbelievably consistent with how he displays love to us and to the world. We've redefined everything in the world and therefore we complicate it. It is why today some of us are having a really hard time believing that God is who he says he is. At the end of the day, it's pretty simple. God is love. But we've redefined it so much and we've gone through so many iterations of what that means, we've lost what it could actually mean. So here's the truth for us this morning and it is the gospel truth that God loves you and God loves me. And I know that feels like you should have heard that in children's church when you were seven years old. But if we lose sight of that, we've lost everything. If we lose sight of the fact that God loves us, then we've lost it. And we follow him out of obligation and responsibility. We follow him out of tradition. And we lose the undeniable aspect of the initiating love of God. So let's start here in Luke chapter one, verse 26. Luke chapter one, 26. In the sixth month, so we just studied last week Elizabeth and Zechariah. We read in verse 25, Elizabeth now has been, uh, or verse 24, she's been for five months, has kept herself hidden. She's an older lady, um, pregnant for the first time, probably afraid of a number of things, fearful, scared, all that. So it's been five months. But then verse 26, in the sixth month, meaning in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy with John, the baptizer, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now betrothed is not a word that we use because we don't really do this anymore. To be betrothed would mean that a, a man has paid the price, the dowry, the, the bride price for a daughter of a, of a husband and wife. And he's paid the price, so now he is legally um, endowed to her. They are legally pledged to be married. And there would come a season of betrothal, which actually in the Hebrew can be, can be translated sanctification, which is a whole other sermon about how God loves us. But there's this season of betrothal in which the wife, or to-be wife, the fiance, would keep herself pure and would maintain purity and pursue more purity until the day when the, the fiance, the male, the husband, would return for his then bride. Then at that point, there would be what we would call a wedding, after the wedding would be a period of time in which the wedding would be consummated, 
in which the guests are all waiting outside to celebrate the consummation of this marriage. She is betrothed, she's legally given to Joseph. So to leave would be considered divorce, not just breaking up, but a divorce. She was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Now Luke is telling us this is, this is important. He's from the house of David. The Messiah would come from this same lineage. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now this word virgin, there's been some debate in recent years about this. People are saying, well, virgin just means young girl. It doesn't necessarily mean that she was celibate. It doesn't mean that she had abstained from sex at this point, just that she was a young girl. It does mean a young girl. This word would mean that she was a young girl, maybe even pre-puberty. So she could not have had sexual intercourse and would not have therefore had um, been, been impregnated. The word virgin does carry with it the connotation that she has not had sex with a man. This virgin, we don't know her name yet, but this is the virgin. Her name was Mary. Now, what's interesting is that Mary's name comes from the Hebrew name Miriam, which means rebellious. It can mean bitter or rebellious, all the way back to Moses' Miriam at that point, rebelling against the government. This is where it comes from. Verse 28, this angel, Gabriel, came to her and said, greetings. Just an odd thing for an angel to say. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Now, again, we picture little chubby um, babies in diapers when we think of angels. Um, This would have been some kind of a warrior and probably not glowing like we see in the movies and probably didn't fly in on a zip line either. I mean, it just appeared. Um, Maybe even not, but he's, he's in the room. Verse 29, but she, Mary, was greatly troubled. Now, pay attention here. Greatly troubled at the saying. You can underline, circle that. This is important for us and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now, if you're like me, you've read the Christmas story countless times. There are times when you could probably verbatim quote Luke 2 because your dad used to read it before he could open presents. So maybe you remembered that, maybe you know it from uh, Charlie Brown, I don't know, but it becomes a story, a fable, Joel said, like a fairy tale to us. This is real things that really happen. And we love to study other parts of scripture, but when it comes to Christmas, we just wanna get through it so we can open our presents. So I've read this countless times and I've never noticed the phrase at the saying there. So I've just assumed she was troubled because some warrior man was in her room, which would make a lot of sense. This word troubled means she is agitated. She's agitated in her being, she's agitated. She's confused, she's shaking, she can't figure it out. And it's not that she can't figure out why this warrior man is in her room. What she can't figure out is what he just said to her. She tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. But what was the greeting? He said, oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. So essentially the question Mary is trying to figure out is, how am I a favored one? This word favored uh, comes from the original Greek word for grace or graced one. Now, to understand what's happening here, Mary has no idea that anyone would consider her favored. Well, why? Well, because she's from Nazareth. And there's a saying that goes on throughout the Middle East that would say nothing good comes from Nazareth. 
We would say nothing good comes from Jackson, but they say nothing good comes from, except for Buckner's, that, that's good. So they, her issue was, well, I'm from Nazareth, nothing good comes from Nazareth. How am I a favored one if nothing good comes from Nazareth? I'm a female. And particularly in this culture, females were degraded. They were just there um, to make babies and for the pleasure of the man. They had no standing. They couldn't very much testify in a court of law. They were not believable. They had no authority. So she is a female from Nazareth, and not just any female, she's a young female. She's been given in marriage to a man, and maybe by that way she'll find some status, but probably in Nazareth nobody has status. From all accounts of Nazareth, there's no one wealthy, no one with power or authority. This is, she's just a girl. She's just a girl. Nothing to write home about, no financial status, no social status. She's from Nazareth, and so she's confused because no one has ever called her favored before. Government had it, hadn't, religious authority hadn't. She doesn't feel favored. The evidence doesn't point to her being a favored one, and so I think she's wrestling with, listen, man, I think you got the wrong girl, and you're in the wrong place. She's agitated by this angel man calling her favored one. She's trying to discern what this means. Now, we've painted Mary, haven't we? We've painted Mary to just be the purest of women. I mean, we, we think about her, she's pretty much Mother Teresa is who she is when we think about the Christmas story. I mean, she's beautiful, she's perfect, she feeds the poor, she takes care of little babies. Um, th this is kind of who she is. She, she, she nurses animals back to health. This is who we think that Mary is. The truth is, Mary is just a 12 to 16-year-old girl. How many 12 to 16-year-old girls do you know like that? She's just a girl in Nazareth, and She's poor and has nothing to offer. And in fact, her name means rebellious. And she would have been named with some evidence in mind knowing what kind of girl this would be. This is who she is. So she's asking the question, I, I don't understand how, no one's ever said that I'm favored before. She's disturbed, she's agitated. Who is this man and why is he calling me this? Verse 30, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid or fear not, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Well, that's not helpful. She's already agitated and confused that he would call her the favored one, and now he says, hey, don't be afraid, favored one, you have favor. This word favor is the Greek word charis, which means grace. It is the first time in the New Testament this word has been used. Keep in mind, we've gone through Matthew and we've gone through Mark. And now we're 30-something verses into Luke. And now we hear about grace? Now. Surely that could have happened earlier, right? Like the New Testament is all about Jesus. Surely Matthew would have mentioned something about grace. He doesn't. Luke does. Because Luke has a unique perspective. Matthew is a Jew, 
And so Matthew gives his account of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the life of Jesus from a Jewish perspective. And so he's not so concerned with grace as much as he is with Jesus being the fulfillment of everything prophesied in the Old Testament. So he, he leans more that direction. Luke is a Gentile. Luke is not a Jewish man. Luke needs this. Luke isn't one of the chosen. He, he's different than that. And in fact, the entire gospel of Luke is about how Jesus treats the underprivileged, the marginalized. He's the only one that talks about Zacchaeus. His perspective of the birth of Jesus is through the eyes of Mary, a young, good-for-nothing girl in Nazareth. So when he interviewed Mary to get this perspective, she said, you'll never believe what the angel called me. He called me favored. And then he said that I have found favor. I've found grace with God. Now notice, Gabriel's antidote to the fear of Mary is grace. Don't be afraid, young one. There's grace for you. Don't be afraid, child. There's grace for you. That's the antidote. And then he continues. I think it's how most men try to settle a woman's heart and it, it doesn't help. Uh, we just make things worse. So here's what he says in verse 31. Your favored one in verse 30, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. That's not helping. Don't be agitated, don't be worried. You're just gonna have a baby and I'm just gonna place it right in your womb. It'll be fine. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then verse 34, Mary said to the angel, well, how will this be since I am a virgin? How will this be since I haven't done what it takes to be able to have a baby? How will it be since I'm just a young girl only betrothed to my husband and we haven't consummated anything? How can this be? She's saying, well, how can this be? How, how can I be favored? How can I have the favor of God on me, but I have done nothing to even earn any of this? And in fact, I can't. How can this be? I haven't contributed to any of this at all. I've got nothing on the table. How can this be? It doesn't make sense. It's just not logical. How can this be that you would call me favored, that I've been given the grace of God and yet I've done, I, I can't offer anything to this situation? Well, Gabriel continues in verse 35 and the angel answered her, well, here's how. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Don't, don't be nervous. It's just gonna overshadow you. It's fine. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. So here's, theologically, here's what's happening. What he's saying is this son, this son of yours, will not be born a sinner like every other human being has been so far. This will be the child of God. And to not get too graphic, but anatomically and biologically, it won't happen through your tubes, but I will place him in the womb which means he won't pass through those things in which he would get, essentially get sin on him. This will be pure. He will be of the most high, the, the holy one. Verse 36, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age 
has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Well, how will this be? Listen, we've already done it. And your relative Elizabeth, she's pregnant. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now, what is that in relation to? Well, it's in relation to her question, how can this be since I'm a virgin? But it's really in relation to the question of how am I favored? How do I have grace? Verse 38, Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, plenty of places we could go and teach from this passage alone, but I wanna go in a particular direction here this morning. Two statements I wanna make, and here's the first one. The love of God transcends. The love of God transcends, meaning that it goes above or it goes beyond. This love, God is love, this love, agape love, love, it transcends. It rises above and it goes beyond the limits of. First of all, it transcends our status. God doesn't love us because of our status. It transcends all of that. You'll notice that Luke intentionally places this account, this narrative of Mary, and it's nestled in the account of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And in fact, Luke, make sure that you understand, he goes back and forth from place to place to let, to let you know something is up. He is intentionally laying these two stories parallel to one another. And he wants you to see how remarkably alike they are and yet how subtly different they are if we're paying attention. The love of God transcends even our status. So listen, pay attention to what's happening. An angel has appeared to Mary. But in the beginning of the chapter, an angel appears to Zechariah. He appears to an old religious male leader, and Gabriel appears to a young, naive, poor female. So he's laying out the contrasts. We learn later that Zechariah is from Hebron. Hebron is one of the most ancient Hebrew cities. It's esteemed, particularly for the priests that come out of Hebron. It's beautiful. It's religious fervor is unmatched at this time. And then you've got this little girl from Nazareth where nothing good comes from Nazareth. So you've got the contrast. They're both visited by an angel. The interactions with them are very similar. You've got an unexpected pregnancy. One is too old and one seems too young. And the angel tells both of them what the name of this baby, this child should be. And then you'll notice this, both Zechariah and Mary question the angel, but with wildly different results. Zechariah questions the angel and the angel says, because you don't believe me, you will be silent. I will take your voice from you. And he does. And when Mary questions him, he says, it's gonna be okay. We've already done this once. You're going to be fine. The love of God transcends. So pay attention to what's happening. This is something I heard from my friend Kristen this past week. A male religious leader is silenced while a poor female girl is given her voice. A male religious leader has his voice taken from him and a young girl is given hers. The love of God doesn't care about your status. The love of God doesn't care about where you stand. It transcends all boundaries. 
he takes what was the lowest in this young virgin and he raises her, he exalts her and esteems her and he takes what culture would have considered at the peak or the highest. He is, Zechariah is a religious man from a religious family doing good things and yet his wife is barren and he questions the angel and the angel then through the power of, of God takes his voice from him. There's a moment in which um, for every child that was born, on the eighth day for the boy at circumcision, at some point for the female, they would be given a name by the family. It would have been a, a huge ordeal that happened. And the person who would have named the child would have been the father, which is why when Zechariah and Elizabeth are there to name John, Zechariah can't speak, and, and, and Elizabeth says, we're gonna name him John. And the people turn from her to look at Zechariah as if to say, you don't matter. What does he think? And the angel tells this little girl, you're gonna name him Jesus. He will be the savior of the world. This is the message of the gospel, that love transcends. Love transcends. It transcends our worthiness. The question is, how can this be? I'm, I'm a virgin. And we ask similar questions about the love of God. Well, how can this be? Don't you know what I've done? Don't you know that I've ruined my family? Don't you know? How can it be that I'm a favored one, that you've given grace to me? Don't you know what I've done? Don't you know the things that I've looked at? Don't you know the things I've participated in? Don't you know what I've done with my finances? It certainly can't be me. Greetings, oh favored one. How can this be? Don't you know that I'm a failure? Don't you know that all I do is lie? Don't you know that I manipulate? Don't you know that I've murdered and I've been angry and I've, and I've cussed people out and I've, I've stolen? Don't you know I'm a, an adulterer? Don't you know? How can this be? Don't you know what I've done? You could never. The good news of the gospel is that the love of God shows up to us and says, greetings, O favored one. The love of God transcends. Secondly, the love of God transforms. He flips culture on its head at this moment, but I want you to read the Song of Mary in Luke chapter one, verse 46, and notice what's transformed in the heart of Mary. This girl who said, how can this be? And this girl who was perplexed by the angel calling her favored. Verse 46, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Where she once magnified her status and, and her age and her being a virgin, now she magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. The same girl who months earlier said, how can this be, is now saying, oh, okay. All right. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Then verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He transforms. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. The love of God feeds the hungry. The love of God helps his servant. The love of God sends the rich away empty. The love of God evens the playing field. 
The love of God transforms us, transforms our hearts, it transforms a society, it transforms a school, it transforms a family, it transforms a church and a county. The love of God transforms. This is what it does. It transcends everything we've put in its way and it transforms. And I know you're saying, yeah, but it hasn't yet. Well, have we actually done it? Have we actually done it? Has it been the love of God with which we're loving people or just the way that we want to be seen? The love of God transforms. Where there is love, agape love of God, places are never the same. People are never the same. Families are never the same. Marriages are never the same. Finances are never the same. This is the consuming love of God. Well, then what's our response to it? What's our response to being called favored one and being given the unmerited love of God? Well, 1 John says it this way. Verse seven of chapter four. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment for our sins. Beloved, those who are loved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, then God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So what do we do? Well, we love in a way that transcends. We love in a way that transcends pain and transcends betrayal and transcends worthiness. We've distorted what love is and we love those who we deem worthy of our love. That's not the love of God and that love will not transform. That love is the exact same way that everyone on this planet loves one another. If you are worthy, I will love you. But the love of God isn't dependent upon worthiness. It transcends. The love of God loves. Unmerited love. Unmerited favor. It transcends. It goes beyond. It means you love your kid even when he's not lovable. And not in the passive way, oh, I love you. I'll give you a gift on your birthday. No, in this kind of love, in the self-sacrificial active, enduring kind of love. This is the love. It's, it's how you love a spouse, both here and wayward. It's how, it's how you love your kids. It's how you love your boss. It's how you love your church. This is what we do in a love that transcends. It transcends pain and worthiness. But I think we need to love in a way that transforms. Do you believe in this kind of God? A God who loves in this way, a God that is love, well, then we need to love and see what happens. We need to love and let God handle the results. We love without expectation, without earning, and without criteria. Because when we love, we are the evidence of God to the world. And I'll give you evidence of it. Look at Luke 1, start in verse 39. Mary hears this from the angel, and she hears about Elizabeth being pregnant, and so she runs to go talk to Elizabeth. Verse 39, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, this is Hebron, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you. Some of your translations say, favored are you among women. 
and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me? That the mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby, this is John the Baptist, in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. You wanna know what made the love of God click for Mary? Elizabeth did. She heard about it from the angel and she was perplexed and we get no evidence that her heart was satisfied here or settled here, none. All we know is that with haste or immediately or quickly, she left the conversation with the angel and ran to greet Elizabeth because she had to hear it from somebody else. You saw one too, right? Is this what he looked like? She runs to Elizabeth, tell me I'm not dreaming. She sees Elizabeth, now six months pregnant. So, okay, something, there's something happened. And she greets her and Elizabeth calls her blessed, calls her favored. The word of God through the word of a person settles the love of God in our hearts. You wanna know why people don't believe that God loves them? Because we don't act like it because we don't tell them and we don't live like it. We criticize and we condemn and we judge and we say, I'll give you love if you. And God says, that's not what my love is. Are you paying attention? This is how I've always loved. I've always given. I gave to Moses even though he argued with me. I gave to Abraham even though he, he betrayed me in my promise. I've, I've given to David even though he was a murderer and an adulterer. You think my love is dependent upon what you've done, then you're not paying attention. So what do we do then? If, if we've received the love of God, what do we do? Then we love like God does. And this moment of being loved by Elizabeth made everything click for Mary. There are people in our families who have heard from the Bible that God loves them, and yet we don't show them the same thing. So how will they know? And you wanna know why Elizabeth was able to love Mary? Because Elizabeth had an encounter with the living God because she too felt unworthy. She too could not believe it was happening this way. She too had a moment of disbelief and it changed her life. And it gave her eyes to see and a heart to love. If you've experienced the love of God today, then it should change how we love other people. It should change how we see people. It should change how we see people of different colors and different socioeconomic backgrounds. It should change how we see people in different countries. It should change how we see our calendars. It should change how we see our kids and our spouses. It should change how we see our ex-spouses. It should change everything. If you continue in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, John says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has, not, has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Scripture is clear. If you've received the love of God but you don't love your brother, you're a liar. You're a hypocrite. And what you think you've received isn't actually the love of God. So maybe you've been in church for a long time and you gave your life to Jesus a number, a number of years ago and he radically saved you and rescued you from the power of darkness. Are you loving people the same way? 
Are you loving in a way that transcends? Are we loving in a way that pushes past social barriers and cultural barriers? Are we loving in that way? Are you loving someone who votes differently than you the same way you would love someone who votes the same way as you? Are you loving someone who's a different color than you the same way you would love someone who is the same color as you? And I don't, don't just mean when people are looking, I mean in the conversations you have with other people. Are you loving people a different gender than you? Are you loving people a different marital status than you? Are, are you loving them? Are you loving people who don't know Jesus? Are you loving them the same way? The love of God is a transcendent, transformative love. Where there is the love of God through his people, things should be different. It should be different. Students, your schools should be different because you're there. Your workplaces should be different because the indwelling love of God is in you when you are in that place. Our families should be different. Our marriages should be different. If the transcendent, transformative love of God is in us, then people should know about it. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes. And just think, and I know there's a simplicity to all of this this morning, and that's intentional. God loves you. And it's not based on your merit. It's not based on what you've done and your church attendance and, and how much you've given and what you've abstained from. It's not about that. And we've painted Mary to be some girl who's worthy of this favor. She's not. She's not. And you're not. And I'm not. And yet, God has extended his love to us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So I wonder this morning how many of us are here and just in all honesty would say, I don't feel loved by God today. I hear what you're saying, but the evidence is stacked against you. Would you just raise your hand and say, no, I don't, I don't buy it. I don't buy that I'm loved by God today. I don't buy it. I wonder if there's people here today who would just say, I feel like I'm loved by God, but I'm having a real hard time loving blank." Loving so-and-so. Would you raise your hand and say, yeah, I, I know God loves me. I'm having a real hard time, though. I'm having a hard time. Praise the Lord for your boldness and confession. Maybe you're here this morning, and this is the first you've heard about a God that loves you. You've heard about a God who's out to get you and a God who demands perfection from you, but you've never heard about this. Listen, there is a God, the creator of the universe, who put you together, who knit you in your mother's womb and placed you where he intended to place you with the, with the sole intent of bringing you back into communion with him. And this love is not based on you. And if you feel unworthy and you don't feel good enough and you feel dirty, you feel like a hypocrite, you feel like you could never be in a church or the church would burn down. Well, you're here and we're still, we're still standing. Love of God transcends all of that. And he extends it to you that you would receive the grace of God. You would receive what he has for you. That you might be forgiven. That you might be brought back into union with him. That's what your soul desires today. What scripture asks for us is that we first admit that we need that savior. We aren't it. We admit it, we're broken, we're sinners, we've rebelled against God. 
and that you would believe with all of your heart and your mind that he is that Lord, that he is that Savior. And find that you would confess it, not just with your mouth, but with your life. That he would be Lord of your life and you would follow him with what you have. That's, that's, that's the love of God towards you. So I invite you into that this morning. So our staff and elders come forward. I just wanna remind you, if there's anything you need prayer for this morning, if you need us to pray with you about salvation, you need to pray with us about forgiveness. If you just need to come up here and bow at this altar as a place to say, this is where I gave it to him, I wanna invite you to do that this morning. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for um, the ministry of the Kellys in Uganda. God, I pray for them. I pray um, power from on high for them through the power of the Spirit, through their words and their testimony that would see um, people find salvation, find life in you. And that through that, God, families would be changed and a community would be changed. I believe you can do it. I believe it's who you are and what you've always done. We pray for them. God, protect them, lead them, guide them. Guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. God, I pray for our people here today. I pray for those of us who are really wrestling with believing that you love us. Pray that through even the voice of someone else today that you would remind us that we are loved. Not because of anything we have to offer, but simply because we are yours. If there's anyone in the room today who is wrestling with the Spirit about giving their lives to you, about surrendering all they have to follow you, God, I pray that you would compel them through your power today for those of us who need to extend love to people that we feel like um, aren't lovable. God, would you give us courage and boldness to do so through the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.